We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Mike. Darius is still out, and today we're going to do a mailbag episode. Uh, I hope everybody had a nice weekend, and you guys sent in some great questions. So here to join us to ask us those questions is our wonderful producer, Jeannie. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Doing well. Thanks, Jeannie. Good. Not as well, Jeannie, as Darius, though, who is on Magic's yacht. Uh, the trip continues. Um, I yes. believe they're at Portofino right now. <laughs> and uh, he, Darius uh, was up late last night with LL Cool J. Um, they, they were working on uh, like LL's next album, so that's why Darius can't be with us. I'm really sad that I missed that <laughs> Instagram story. The first question is from Nick Bailey. What things other than getting shooters can the Lakers do to improve their scoring? Is it just having LeBron and AD back at full strength? So obviously having LeBron and AD back at full strength is the foundation that things are built off of. But I've been thinking about this. The So much of our the concept of the team is built on putting pressure on the rim that – one thing that we don't do in terms of that, in terms of putting pressure on the rim that we didn't do this year, but did the year before is we didn't have much in the way of lob threats. And so I think that that is one element. Like if I could pick one thing, it would be an off screen shooter, a guy who could just like let it fly and really get hot from the outside. But they asked the question of other than shooters, I would say a lob threat, Mike. What, what about you? What do you think we can do on offense? Uh, so I'm not going to do my whole shooting is overrated spiel again. You guys have heard that. On previous pods, uh, it was funny. I was doing the studio show last night, and so we asked. The, the question was, "What do the Lakers need most in terms of a type of player?" And so Bresnahan said, "A shooter." I think that is the conventional answer. I think that that's the, and it's obviously it makes sense. And, and Pete certainly has laid it out in previous pods why. I, but I said two way player, and because ultimately I think with this team, a shooter, just a pure shooter, like that type of player. Could that guy help get you through certain regular season nights in the way that Montrose Harrell did last year and what his specific skill set was? I think so. But ultimately, with this team, with LeBron and AD, I value that a guy that you can have on the floor in a playoff series and that, does, that can't get played off because he whether he only does one thing or you can face guard him or whatever it is. So I'm always 
with this specific roster and the way that they play, the way that they switch, the way that they're versatile. Um, I want a guy that is closer to a Wes Matthews, even though he didn't shoot the ball great last year. At least I know he can be on the court um, in a crunch time setting because I can trust him on defense and the, the other team at least has to guard him. You know, even if he's not going to shoot 45%, if he's going to shoot 35 to 40%, then I'm fine. So that's where I've settled on with this. That doesn't mean that I'm right, but that's the way that I'm, I'm thinking about this roster. Yeah, I'm I'm answering specifically through the lens of offense because I totally agree, right? You got to be able to be on the court in the biggest games. We have to reverse engineer everything from that. All right, Jenny, who do we have next? The next question is from Dakota Bates. If you were each given the opportunity slash authority to make three unilateral rule or structural changes in the NBA, in-game, salary cap, television slash media, expansion, etc. What would those be? Wow. Uh, what a what a solid question. Can you, Jeannie, this is such a good question that I want you to read it again, if you wouldn't mind, because I, I need to, I need another minute or so, um, I think to, or at least 30 seconds to iron out my top three. So please, if you would, uh, give me give me the question again. If you were each given the opportunity slash authority to make three unilateral rule or structural changes to the NBA, in-game, salary cap, television slash media, expansion, et cetera, what would those be? Okay, Pete, let me, maybe we'll do this. Could I start with one and then go to you yeah, and we can kind of think on it? We can go back it? and forth. Okay. I like this. Okay, so... My the first thing that I think of in the NBA and the thing that bothers me the most, and I I don't want this to turn into like a crusade that I say every other podcast, but the way that instant replay is used, I think, has to be modified and basically shrunk and lessened to certain things that are important. Like, okay, was the foot on the line like KD's last three, that kind of thing where you can do a quick review. Somebody's waiting on it and boom, 10 seconds, you've got your answer for it. Um, I want no reviews of block charge, like anything that ha- that can still be subjective when you look at it again, I think should never be reviewed. Um, so I, I, whatever gets us away from replay and whatever gets us away from stoppages when every player on the team is putting his finger in the air, trying to, to go tell the ref to review it. Like I want what Zach Zarba did to Beverly. It was like, nope, not reviewing it. We're playing the basketball game. This is an entertainment product um, above all else. It doesn't always have to be perfect and it can't be even if you use the replay so legislation to reduce replay would be my number one thing amen preach it mike so i'm gonna go in a different direction i would contract probably five teams here and set up and obviously the logistics of this would be extensive right but set up a five team division internationally linking up with some of the bigger soccer brands right so like lakers versus real madrid or manchester united in conjunction with that like you know shortening the i'll get to, to all that but yeah i would like to see international expansion of the game yeah so that's a that's a great dream for the future which i think that eventually uh that we can get to and but i the way that i'm trying to filter it and think about it is more through the champions league or something in soccer where so you have the european league is still relatively young and it's going to keep getting better and this is what's happened to some extent in international soccer where now you have the champions of the english league and really the top four make it then the top four italian teams the top four german teams some of the smaller countries get one bid in but so i like i could see the european league lining up for the same season um as the nba and then as those teams get better and better you take 
the top couple of those teams and you play a tournament as opposed to sort of an integrated league, which I just think logistically would be too difficult to pull off. But you could have um, you could have those teams and where 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 you're not just having like the Olympics every four years or the world championships, and but you're actually bringing in those teams to play um, to play against NBA teams more often because like and then at some point, the only issue with that, Pete, to kick this back to you, let's say that those teams get good enough where all of a sudden Luka Doncic is like, ah, eh, I don't know if I need to come to the NBA. I'm just going to stay at Real Madrid like our, this team. And, and maybe that's fine further down the line and then you you, but like that's the thing I think that could hurt the NBA is that they stop getting every single one of the best players that come over if they can generate that type of money to prevent uh, Luka Doncic from coming over I think that's good for the sport overall right and I think that there is more common ground than not and obviously this is a, a big dream that's probably well into the future but I do think that the NBA is too geared towards smaller markets in America I'd like to see them more focused on international expansion. So we'll see. I'm curious to see the next generation of basketball in that respect. So I know that we were asked for three each. Um, I'll just give one more and then maybe, sure. Pete, if you have another one and and we can always return to this because this is a great question that's, that's nice and broad. I worry a little bit moving forward about the Supermax in a couple of different ways. So – if it's a player like LeBron, there's basically no amount of money that he isn't going to be worth. But there are, I don't know, six, seven of those guys. And now that some of the players, these Supermax extensions are going to start kicking in and you're going to have guys, I won't name any uh, here, but that are making $50 million a year that just aren't worth that much money. And it's gonna, the, the team is not going to be able to add the requisite salaries around that to really be competitive. And it's a difficult thing to legislate, though, because you can't like you can't. Uh, just pay X amount of guys that money. And then other teams are like, well, what are we supposed to do? Like we have to at least get, we have to get somebody here and we can't do it unless we pay them. Pete, I see that being a problem um, as we move forward and, and and as that happens more and more, and it's just going to make it that much more difficult to make a mistake. Whereas like you may have to bring in some type of amnesty provision again, like once these, all of these supermax extensions really got, start getting into their fourth and their fifth year, which is when the money seems to be the biggest. So that's one thing that I worry about. Amen to that. And that's one of many rules throughout different CBAs that have been negotiated over the, you know, my years of following the NBA, where that was instituted to kind of save owners from themselves in that like, oh, we don't want to give too much money to a guy and then he doesn't work out. But what's ended up happening is if the best players in the league know that there's a cap on what they're going to be making anyway, they're going to be making their decisions on where they play based on other factors. And then all of a sudden, the smaller market owners who, again, I'm in favor of contracting several of those markets. And this is the reason why those small market owners go, oh, we can't we can't do that. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, no, now we're in this bad spot. Nobody wants to come here because we can't offer a guy $50 million when someone else is offering them 35. So that's, yeah, I'm right there with you on that. My last one will be, there's too many teams make the playoffs for how many games that there are during the regular season. And what that does is waters down the importance of every individual regular season game. There are several different ways to do this, and I think there's a super interesting conversation to have on addressing this. We should do a pot on this late uh, in the summer, but they need to make the regular season more important. Those regular season games may, need to feel more like an event, so it's on the media side, but it's also on the player health side. I understand why teams 
load manage throughout a year when the individual games don't matter much. That said, we have a Phoenix Suns team that's been kicking everybody's butt that has played every single game. So there is a balance between rest and cohesion. And we've had this conversation throughout the year. But yeah, Mike, that's something that I think that increasing the importance of regular season games, either by reducing those games or reducing the playoff teams. I don't know. I just feel like those need to be more important games. So again, to to I I don't want to always turn to soccer as the best analogy, but the best league in the world to me is the English Premier League. They play 38 games and every single one is not only of, of crucial importance because of the the amount of them, which gets a little closer to what the NFL is in a way. But like there, that is the championship. So there's no postseason in that. And there's no way. Obviously, we're going to be able to replicate that part of the NBA and baseball deals with this in a different way. Right. So that's part of it. And you're right, Pete, we have to do a whole separate pot on this because there's so many different tentacles to it. But the other part with shortening games is it the the idea, I think, and the, the thing that scares teams and even somebody like myself, who like the more games that you work in theory, the more money there is for the overall pie. But if there were a certain amount of fewer games, could you get the could you make the argument that the television ratings would be higher per game? And therefore, right, you just spread that money out in the same way and like so if you can get to a point where you can show that then like that's 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 interesting because then i think you could sell that and you could have the 72 game season where you just instead of you play every western conference team three times instead of play x amount four times and x amount three times and you still play the opposing conference twice each and then therefore you still get two laker celtics games right um every year and you and so like there's a there's a a way i think to look into that and then part of it p2 is okay. Well, what if you shrink the season down that way, but then you find a way to integrate your first idea with the international element of it, right? And and what if and if those these things games, go together, hundred percent. Right, and in the infancy of it, if some of the players and some of the stars, like as those European teams are getting better, like what the European teams do, and they will do in the kind of their interseason tournaments, they will just play their younger guys more. Right. And so in this case, it's like, all right, well, for our first round game against the, you know, against uh, not the the best team in Spain, but against like Mallorca instead of Real Madrid, Kuz is going to be the go to guy in this one. Like we're not playing LeBron here. But then so there's a lot of different ways that you could get to this in ideas where you could expand into the future. And that way we can merge your first idea with it. So. Those two things absolutely go together in my mind. If I were the the king of basketball and could snap my fingers and do whatever I wanted, there would be six teams that would make the playoffs in each conference. You could have the play and try. I thought the play and tournament was cool, but that would be for just the sixth spot. And then the top two teams get a bye in the first round. Right. So it incentivizes being one of those top two two seeds. And then there we'd have about a 50 game season over the same period of time. And it would be international. Right. So you'd play about two games a week. The players are in better condition. It allows for a greater degree of travel around the world. And obviously, like if you're going to Europe to play teams in that division, you got to hit every team while you're on that trip. There's no bouncing back and forth on that one. Right. We got to get the Concords back up and running, too. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And yes. by the way, this is a this is a subject of, about which Michael Thompson is very passionate, um, aviation. And we've had so many conversations back in the day on the show about like, well, like the reason they had to cancel the or they they stopped having the flights was because they were too loud. Uh, in so other than across the Atlantic, but any it basically like if if they have found some way to minimize the noise that it requires to get the planes to go that much faster, and the technology is going to get there right for for this. So. That, that to me, if you can get to Europe 
instead of it taking what is it like a, a five or six it's hour like flight hours. from New York to London? Oh right, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from here right from L.A. to uh, right to Barcelona is like twelve hours. But if you right. can get that to six hours, you know, like with a Concord, then boom, all of a sudden we're in business, man. And how dope would that be? Now game start time, all that, like that gets a little tricky. But like I, one thing that I've loved about that is like for the European soccer games. Now I wake up nine a.m. Boom, the first game's on. But I also don't have a day job where I work at nine o'clock in the morning. But some issues That's here, people. But we can get we can get through it. We can get through it. There are Laker fans all over the world that deal with that. Like whenever <laughs> I know what no, else. This is American. Yes, this is a like American North America problem. based problem. That and that's what I'm saying. Are like, shut up, Mike. Yeah, people <laughs> in Australia are like, yes. Dude, that's what I'm saying. Whenever the Lakers have a game with a weird start time, you know how like in Toronto sometimes it's like it's 930 in the morning on a, you know, on a Sunday or I will tweet out like, hey, just PSA. The game starts at this unusual time. And invariably, I get people from all over the world going, this is great for me. It's finally like 730. It's right after dinner. I'm used to waking up at two in the morning to watch these games. I like to think that I created that in when in 2010 when the lakers were in toronto and i did a thing on twitter where i i just kept tweeting what time it was at the various uh and then everybody's the same thing like everybody started retweeting hey i'm watching it blank time right. in iraq i'm watching it blank time in australia and it was truly like i could not even respond to the amount of countries it, it was over like 100 countries it's so um, cool with all, and that's and that, that you're right that is what the laker kind of world is about and then look it's like look, laker film room live in the philippines um, on you know on December twenty fifth, Laker Film it's Room on uh, Christmas. Uh, Laker Film Room live in uh, <laughs> Mongolia. You know in January, <laughs> Laker Film Room live in New Zealand. You know so you know we, we'll get there one day hopefully. That's what I want ultimately with the changes to make to the NBA. The NBA every NBA game should be an event and it should be an international event that's appointment viewing. And I I really think we could get there. Anyway, this has been a lot of fun. Let's take a quick break. We come back. We'll answer more of your questions. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
All right, Jeannie, who do we have next? Speaking of international fans, the next question is from the biggest Lakers fan in Italy. Yes, Giuseppe. Giuseppe. Giuseppe, we know you. Can you talk about soccer, if you like it or not, and why? Your favorite team and who will win the Euro? This question must be directed at Pete because I think Giuseppe is well familiar uh, with, with my soccer leaning. So, Pete, you go ahead and take this one first and then I'll, I'll, I'll be brief with mine. So I like soccer. I like the sport and like the actions of it. I am a little different than a lot of people in the respect that I like scoring that reflects the quality of play. Like my biggest issue with soccer is that too frequently, and you can correct me on this, I know very little about soccer. So, but too frequently, you know, you can make this incredible pass across the pitch that travels 40, 50 yards right onto some dude's foot. And most of the time, if you make a great pass in basketball, that's going to lead to something that's reflected on the scoreboard. You're going to score. Most of the time in, in soccer, it's not. And you're already shaking your head at me. It's so terrible correct take. me, man. Set, set me straight. Set me straight here. I, I'm curious. No, to keep, keep, the, I'm going to let you bury yourself further and then I'll, co- then I'll come in off the top row. No, no, no. So I, I like... I have a great appreciation for the ability to make that pass and the ability to catch it with your freaking foot while you're on the run. So like I marvel in the athletic achievements of the players. It's just that so frequently the great thing that they did on the pitch is not reflected on, on the scoreboard. So please, I, I, I'd love to hear the, the counter to that because that's always been my, my trepidation with, with soccer is like, that was great, but like, what's the point if it doesn't show up on the scoreboard? Well, the scoreboard only matters at the end of the game. So this is something I always try to, to bring in for, for kind of the crowd the in the 90s, like the Jim Rome, you know, the PT, early PTI that was like, I don't get soccer. There's no goals. I don't get it. I, I hate this. And it's like if you can appreciate and watch a, let's just say, to use the scoring analogy, a, a pitching duel in baseball, you know, is there is there any – so do you crave the reward – of a home run or a score, or do you, can you appreciate a strikeout? You know? So like, that's, so that's, that's one thing in baseball. Like, do you need to see a, a guy hits the ball really hard? Right. And it gets caught in, in Ken Griffey jr. Nineties uh, and early two thousands baseball star, uh, by the way, guys, he, <laughs> he, one of the greatest ever, he rises up and, and, and rips it over the fence. The ball doesn't go out. Do you not appreciate that play because the ball didn't go out? Of course, I appreciate I appreciate the athletic achievements of of the soccer players, right? My yeah. my problem is I'm already is sounding defensive those, about soccer. My bad. <laughs> it's not one of those. I I don't come from the oh, there's not enough scoring in soccer. Like I need to see the ball go in the net. So I go gay. Yeah, it's that it's that the great achievements of those players on any individual play is not reflected in how the game is scored and counted. Well, Does that but, make sense? Yeah. That distinction. I don't really get, I don't, I know, I don't, like, I get what you're saying, but I don't think it's applicable as much to the game. So when you're creating chances and breaking mm-hmm. down a defense, it has a cumulative effect. So, sure. so you may not get a goal the first time that, you know, Messi dribbles through five guys and, and crosses a ball and, you know, and, and whoever it is, PK is making a run up from a central defense. I should be using Italian players for Giuseppe here. Um, but anyway, alas, he hits the post, right? And so there's no technical reward. You don't see that on the scoreboard. But the other team has had to engage their defense and in a way that the dam is starting to break some. So just like – and then right. eventually – Eventually, if you the, if you keep creating chances, which is the whole point, it's not so much the goals themselves; it's the creation of chances, and that's why Messi's the best ever. He creates the most chances. Eventually, you are likely to get a breakthrough, 
And if you don't, the other team can win, which is part of the excitement of soccer because the best team doesn't always win. And you can have a 1-0 lead and the whole game feels like your heart's going to explode through your chest. Whereas sometimes like in basketball, it's the equivalent of, you know, yes, you may have if you have a 20 point lead, the game's over. So they're, they're to me, the sports are a lot more similar than I think you're saying. But the fact that the best team doesn't always win or even as frequently, I don't like that. I, and I know other people do. But what I'm saying is that in basketball, in the vast, vast, vast majority of basketball games, the team that played better is going to win the game because it's such a high scoring sport that really, if you do something good, it's going to be reflected on, on the yeah, scoreboard. You're talking about variance. Yeah, there's there's a little bit less variance in the NBA. Yeah, right. I don't like that. And for the same reason, I don't like single elimination. The fact that the best team usually wins the championship in the NBA, injuries willing, I'm good with that. I, I know a lot of people, oh, you know, we're tired of seeing the same teams win over and over again. We'll beat them, right? And so there's a an inherent fairness in a seven-game series in a high-scoring sport that I personally enjoy. And I don't begrudge anybody else for enjoying that. Yeah, maybe they played better, but you know, this guy can they can get contact and draw a penalty kick in, in soccer. And all of a sudden this game that's been lopsided is now one, one and it's a whole new game. Anyway, Mike, who wins the Euro? Yeah. yeah, I hear you. That's, that's, that's another thing. And it, it also, well, here we'll, we'll save that for yet another pod. Um, and we can maybe bring Steve Nash in um, so he can explain uh, the beautiful game in a different way uh-huh. than I was able to right there. But that all of that variance though, Pete does increase the drama and it does increase sort of, I think for a lot of people, but all right, my favorite team in general, I think I think uh, you guys probably know this by now, but it's Manchester United. Um, my favorite player is Messi. My favorite team in the Euros, uh, I'm certainly pulling for England. Um, I have English roots. I I also, though, this is where it gets complicated because I'm a Western European mutt. My last name is French, uh, Trudel, and so I have ancestors from France. I also am part Irish and part German. So it's it's like I sometimes have a potpourri of what I take in, in all of the guys that are on Manchester United that play in different club teams. You know, so we've got guys on France, on Sweden, on England, on and on and on, Wales. So, uh, but like for this tournament, I was pulling for England first and France second. And I will be riding uh, with the English. And, and that's a, with apologies to Italy. I have a soft spot for the way that Italy plays. They have been amazing. I think they are they are the slightly better team than England, but I think England is a very slight favorite because the game is at Wembley Stadium, uh, one of the greatest stadium, stadiums in the world, and it will be incredibly pro-England for the final, which is a huge lucky stroke uh, for the English. Who we got next, Jeannie? We have another... Well, hold, hold on, hold on, Pete. Are you not yeah. pulling? Are you going to pull for... like? Do you want to give us some of your lineage here? Do you want to pull... Are you going to say just just in, just uh, for Giuseppe, <laughs> are you pulling for Italy? Would you like to, yeah. to declare an allegiance here? I am I am forever rooting for Giuseppe. So yeah, Team Italy on this one. <laughs> okay, guys. The next question is from another international fan of the NBA, Nathan Mark. Hey guys, is it time to build the team to suit AD's talents rather than LeBron's? Or is there no major difference between the two potential team makeups? Thanks from New Zealand. I don't think at this point there's that's the time to do that. Um I don't necessarily even think that you're going to have to choose one or the other. But to me, as long as you have LeBron James on the team and he's reasonably close to the the player that he is now, you got to go all in on because he's the primary ball handler. Right. And that's something, Mike, where I think of how do you build a team around somebody? If you've got a guy that you you give the ball to him most of the time, which isn't to say we don't give the ball to AD, of course, but LeBron's the main guy. And so I don't even think I'm thinking of like the different types of players that you would have 
to build around LeBron versus AD. I don't think they're that different because that's one of the great parts of them is is they complement each other skill set wise rather than getting in each other's way. Yeah, I think LeBron and AD allow you a lot of flexibility in the guys that you're going to put around them. So you don't necessarily have to make a choice, right? Because though they can do so many different things at both ends that it, I think it tends to be able to work regardless. But think about the team that they built or I said when Magic was there, but LeBron's first year and some of the guys that they brought in. And I think the idea of, oh, let's just get shooters only almost and put them around LeBron, kind of like what it seemed like Cleveland had done to an extent, which of course wasn't that simple. Exactly. And I don't think that worked nearly as well as bringing in when Palinka first had had the keys and he brought in more of the two way type players. And so this gets back to my kind of original thesis and theme with this team is that you have I think you lean towards defense, first of all, and and then you lean towards guys that sure, like can can do certain things in offensive situations where that gets tricky is if one of them gets hurt, but that's the same for any team. Like if any team lost one of their best two players, as we just saw with the Clippers, as we just saw with several teams in the postseason, then uh, the Nets certainly, obviously the Lakers, like that is, that is what is going to happen regardless. So I think that you have to lean towards building the team similarly with the players uh, that they did last year. The next question is from Edwin Garcia. Favorite album that has come out after 2010? So it's harder to listen to new music as you get older, but uh, I would go with Frank Ocean's Channel Orange. And my newest obsession is a, a guy named Blast, who's an L.A. artist who's just he's got this song. Look, look up this song called Forever Humble and you spell it B-L-X-S-T. And just a great L.A. sound um, reminds me of a L.A. summer day. Uh, how about you, Mike? What are your. It, yeah. Who, who are I? We know your older school takes uh, yeah, yeah. musically, but uh, who are you into these days? No, I'm so for albums, I I was raised on kind of classic rock, right? So my dad, it was all it was the Beatles. And so I, I know every Beatles album and what year it came out and like all that. And then my first kind of musical love that I kind of came upon myself with my brother was Green Day Dookie. That was that was like my favorite album and still one of my favorite albums when I was a kid. And then I got into hip hop in kind of the mid to late nineties. So of course this is Tupac and Biggie and Tribe and Wu Tang Clan, et cetera. I, so then there was a good there was a good Kanye run of great albums. Um, Jay Z kind of that next generation. Post two thousand ten, I'm trying to think. So I guess so. Drake Take Care was probably what was that 2011 maybe. Here, let me I'll fact check this while I'm Drake. Yes, okay. So November fifteenth, twenty eleven. Um, Take Care. That is a great album. I, I still love listening to Take Care. So that technically qualifies uh, for me. I haven't. There hasn't been an album in the last couple of years that I've just been obsessed with. Um, I mean, I I certainly liked the Weekends last uh, or album two years ago, but or yeah. So I I'll go I'll go Drake Take Care because the, the answer Jeannie they only asked for one right. Correct. There we go. Okay. Okay. The next question, guys, is from Justin Roberts. Who are some unsung heroes, staff, players, front office within the Lakers org that you don't think get enough credit for the work that they do to help the team be successful? Uh, Mike, yeah, yeah, you take this one. I got one right off the top. So my the one that I that I always try to uh, that I think of first is Jesse Buss, uh, who is the assistant GM slash director of scouting. And I just think he's done an amazing job with the draft over the years. And 
Now, of course, Rob Palenka has come in and they work very closely on this. And so he deserves a lot of that credit, too. But, you know, going back years, I think that Jesse and his staff, his scouts and and by the way, Jesse started like there's on in uh, the piece that I did on Dr. Bus, the oral history of Dr. Bus. You can just Google like Dr. Bus oral history Lakers dot com and read about how Jesse first started out in this when he would be. He just was like talking to his dad, watching hoops with his dad. And they used to watch love to watch college. And Jesse realized there wasn't somebody necessarily just focused on that element as much within the organization. So he's like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be this is my thing. I'm going to be obsessed with this. And he like that as he then evolved and eventually started working with the team more specifically, he kept that background. Then he worked with all the scouts. And so you could go year by year and think of all the hits that they've had. And, you know, Clarkson at 46 uh, up to THT at 46 this past year and Kuz and Josh Hart and Larry Nance Jr. and Zubats and like on and on up and down that list. And that's just for guys in the late first round in the second round when typically those guys just rotate through year to year. And then I think that the lottery picks they've made look better with time as well. Julius Randle just made an All-NBA team as the number seven pick. Um, Ingram just made the All-Star team. Lonzo, I think, is better than people talk about him being. Uh, it, so the, there are uh, there are there, there's a lot there that I think just Jesse Buss, uh, to me, um, should should get more recognition and credit than he does. It's good stuff. And shout out to Nick Mazzella and all the other guys in that kind of ecosystem and part of, of the Lakers. Um, I would, I'll, I'll have a, a shameless plug for the film room guys, the actual Laker film room guys, the Drew Anthrop and John Pastorek and uh, coach Quentin Crawford, who's an assistant coach, but he's got some crossover there too. Those guys are so responsible for the communication aspects with players, right? Where you'll see a lot of the shots before the game where they're sitting in the front row with a laptop on their lap, sitting next to a player kind of going over tendencies for that night. And just that there's a lot of chopping and sorting and just kind of organizing in order to set up those three to five to sometimes 10 to 15 minute conversations that they have pregame on the game planning that night. It's, it's funny, the, the end product of it being this relatively short conversation, oftentimes I know takes a lot of work. So shout out to the actual Laker film room guys doing the work and getting the guys ready for the games. All right. uh, Last one. Yes. Good stuff, guys. The last one is from Kingsley. What advice would you guys give to someone who is stuck right now, stuck in a way where they can't figure out what they want? How do they get out of this rut? Yeah, being in a rut, uh, this goes back to the last pod that we recorded, right, about our different paths. And that's something that you can be in a rut even if you are in your dream job. And that's something I struggle with all the time is is that writer's block and that creativity. But it sounds like this listener is asking specifically about, like, you know, finding direction. First of all, I think that a lot of the way that – our society is set up is to kind of take the spirit it not not purposefully but or maybe but to kind of take the spirit out of kids and really uh take some confidence and i see that in people in their teens and in their early 20s who are in that spot of trying to find like i think i know what i want to do but i have no idea how to go about doing it is so much of it has to do with not believing in themselves and so that's the fundamental underlying ingredient if you have that in the first place I think that changes in environment, changes in scenery are really important. There's a certain inertia to life where you just get caught doing the same thing every day over and over again. And that's how you kind of get stuck. There's so many different ways to live life that if you just, if you go with the inertia, you will 
have a relatively limited experience in some ways. So even if it's just a, a change of scenery, go somewhere for a few days, try something new, just something that is different and out of the routine. That's, in my experience, the best way to get out of a rut. How about you, Mike? Yeah, that's a really good thought, Pete. I think so. The hope is that anybody has at least a few people that help them. Right. And so to, to try not to just stay within only yourself, it could be your brother, it could be a girlfriend, it could be your mother, it could be a cousin, it could be, but somebody that can help you with that. And by extension, you know, some, if you don't have that many people in your life that are like that, then, then maybe, and I know this is, this is true for some people, it can be a team, like maybe just the Lakers and maybe having that thing to look forward to um, is something. And then how can you, how can you then have that experience maybe merge with finding a community, right, uh, to do that with, and, and again, if it's if it's listening to a podcast, if it's watching a certain show, um, what some but some th- kind of thing, I think, as a connector, and ultimately, I still think it does get back to that human connection piece, and that's where you can use uh, w- like whatever it is in your life to try and find a way to connect with somebody else. I think that that in its own right can help. Sometimes you get out of whatever it is that you're feeling about for yourself. And then, you know, I think that sometimes this all depends on what your perspective is. But if I'm feeling upset or annoyed about anything that's going on in my own little circle, I'll try to broaden my perspective by like reading about what's going on in places in the world where people have a lot less uh, than what I do or just trying to find some sense of perspective. But that even right there, Pete, is is difficult to say, because if you're struggling with something internally, it can be tough to then think about what's going on in a different country. So. Um, it, it's just that's one thing that I think sometimes can work for me. But ultimately, I, I seek that kind of human connection piece. And that's always been an important part for me um, is not to try to keep it too internal so that it's all it's all locked up in my own stuff. Really good stuff, man. Uh, thank you to everybody for the great questions. I really enjoy these episodes and we'll keep doing them. We'll be back tomorrow with a Lakers pod. But until then. You've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it! It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers.
the Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.